in your second, third, fourth year, if you know where you want to live, go talk to dentists. Start that network process now. Welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast. I'm David Keir and this episode, we talk with a few of the people who got me through dental school. And of course, dental school or university, it's a tough time and we always talk about with dentistry is you need a mentor, you need someone to help you um, get to where you want to go. And I think your first and foremost mentors are actually your colleagues, your friends, the people you went through dental school with or the people you relate to at that early time in your career. For me, there was a group of about 10 of us. We were very tired. We shared all of our information and we really helped each other get through. And today, we have four of those fantastic people with us. I thank each of them for joining us. We've got Dr. Akshay Sadana, Dr. Catherine Del Santo, Dr. Brandon Scott, and Dr. Andre Audette. They're all doing different things in their career and we're all three and a half years out with different stories to tell and hopefully some different but useful pieces to share with you guys. So if you want to know about the first couple of years after graduation, the different paths and the tips that some people that have just done this have to give you, then this podcast is for you. And stick around at the end, we've got the RIPE Global segment. We've got Dr. Lincoln Harris sharing some tips to help you become a better graduate. Don't forget if you're interested in their platform, which I genuinely think is so useful, there's some info on how to get it at the end of this podcast. For now, enjoy this panel discussion with some of the people who got me through dental school. It can be pretty stressful managing the transition from student to professional. Luckily, BOQ Specialist recognizes this and they're here to make the next steps in your career a little easier. Their career starter banking package includes an everyday bank account, an optional overdraft, a credit card with no fees for five years and an optional car loan. Payments towards the optional overdraft are not required until 1st of July the year after you graduate, which really makes a difference to your bottom line. BOQ Specialist really helped me when I graduated. So if they can help you transition from student to professional, then get in touch with them. Terms and conditions apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details. All right, so we've got a a slightly different podcast episode this time. We've got a few of my really good friends from university and we're three, three and a half years out now, almost four, I guess, and we've all got different paths. We're in different places and I want to share some of these people's views and experiences and and try to give you guys a, a snapshot of what it can be like when you graduate or in the next couple of years. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Andre Odette, Kat Del Santo, Brandon Scott and Akshay Sadana. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Good, thanks. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having us on, Dave. All right, so everyone can hear the accent there. So that's Andre. <laughs> so I'm going to give a quick just one second about each person. So Andre's in Canada, um, Kat's in Melbourne, Brendan's in New South Wales, and so is Akshay. Um, everyone, give like a little, like a short piece about what you've been doing since um, dentistry and maybe why you did dentistry as well. We could start with you, Andre. Uh, what I've been do, why I got into dentistry is I always wanted to be in healthcare and I job shadowed a whole bunch of dentists and talked to a whole bunch of doctors and all the doctors said, I'd rather be a dentist and all the dentists said I love my life. So (laughs) (laughs) you know why they said that? Is it like the work-life balance? Oh, it's, it's a hundred percent the work-life balance. That's kind of where I ended up in it. And I did a whole bunch of other jobs before getting into dentistry. And, um, I was working in the mining industry for a couple of years before this and, wasn't super happy with that and wanted to get into healthcare and wanted to be a dentist because it's 
something different every day, right? Like you're not just sitting at a computer. That might be the future, but right now we're not just sitting at a computer. <laughs> you're doing your hand, you're using your hands, you're talking to people, and that's where I wanted to be. So I ended up in dentistry that way. So I ended up in a small town in my hometown, actually, back in Canada, working in a kind of a small private practice and just kind mm. of very basic dentistry. Like we're drilling, we're putting crowns on, we're putting fillings in and we're not doing a ton of other stuff from that. But for me, that's where I'm happy right now. So yeah, yeah, doing the bread and butter. And that's, um, I'm in a similar position, I guess. And we'll definitely get into the Canada stuff. And obviously, we all train together. We're good friends from UCID. Um, we all graduated 2016. So um, Andre's experience for those who are looking to go to Canada will be quite interesting, I think. What have you been up to, Kat? Um, well, I've been working in Melbourne since graduating. Um, I'm in a private practice full-time now, but I started part-time public, part-time private. Um, and then decided I liked private a bit more than I liked public and um, <laughs> took the opportunity when it arose. Um, I, why did I get into dentistry? I just had a really good experience when I was younger. I had an accident, had root canal, had braces, um, so really was on the patient end of things um, and had such a great experience with my general dentist that it made me think, hey, this could be a, a good career path. <laughs> Kat, you're the only one who would say that's a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's it's the exposure, right? And you know, if someone does it well, it makes you think to go down that path. Uh, absolutely, awesome. absolutely. What are you up to, Brandon? So since graduating, I've been working um, full time in Rewick in the eastern suburbs of Sydney um, with my old man, which has been um, it's been really really good. Um, yeah, just working full time. And um, I guess the reason why I got into dentistry was obviously from a young age, always exposed to it, um, you know, going into the dad's work and things like that. But um, I knew at school I wanted to do, some, do something medical-based. Um, and there was a few different options, but um, I think during um, undergrad I did med science and, yeah, I loved that. And um, I was assisting at the same time, so you get a bit of a different perspective, um, uh, you know, working as an assistant. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I thought, yeah, definitely dentistry is the way to go. And, um, yeah, haven't looked back since. It's been, been fantastic for sure. Yeah, that's cool. We'll get into that as well. Like, you know, your dad, he's a dentist. He's got a successful practice and, the you know, the, the pathway into then private practice with him. And there's a few questions I've got about that because I think there's others in the same boat for sure and that'll be interesting. What are you up to, Akshay? You're, you're a busy man. Um, yeah, uh, look, I, um, I've been working... Um, in the same practice since I graduated um, down in Wollongong, um, so the south coast of Sydney. Um, and I basically, to get into dentistry, like I was a pharmacist first, so I did pharmacy and, you know, um, always had kind of wanted to be in healthcare. But then like, the pharmacy industry kind of changed a lot in my final years just before graduation, so I kind of wanted to go stay in health but um, stay somewhere which is a bit more kind of, patient focused as the pharmacy industry was kind of changing so I was actually just applying to a bunch of medical schools and um, Sydney Uni had this like you know little box at the end of the medical school application <laughs> that said you know if you tick this box um, you go you apply for dental school as well so you know out of sheer curiosity and also laziness, I thought, why not? I'll tick the box. And it's the best box I ever ticked because you know, <laughs> um, I got into dental school. So, um, yeah, that's where, that's how I found myself where I am now. 
Do you find um, your experience with pharmacy has helped a lot? Um, I'd say during, yeah, I'd say it, it definitely has. Um, I think you had a pretty good foundation um, of everything medicine going through dental school um, and then even now in private practice, you know, you don't kind of, um, you don't have to quickly Google MIMS or something, you know, when a patient comes in with this crazy ass and you're like, you can't have a general idea. <laughs> so it makes you sound a little bit more like, you know what you're doing. So yeah, pharmacy has definitely helped. Um, I wouldn't say I'd want to go through four years of pharmacy just to help dental school, but you know, because I'd already done it, it was definitely, you know, uh, a bonus. I find, um, you know, the, the drug names and the pharmaceuticals to be something that I still, you know, have to look up every single thing. So I, I can see the benefits, but I understand what you're saying. You don't want to do extra years of uni just because. Just how did you guys go with uni? Um, tell us, anyone has any stories like maybe the really good part about it or, or something that you struggled with or anything about uni? I'll go. Uh, clinical. I loved clinical. Like once we started getting into that ball game. I found it way better. I really struggled with the didactic med part. Um, I don't know if it was the same for everyone, but I, I finished my undergrad two and a half, three years before coming back to dental school. So that first 18 months of trying to figure out how to study and learn again was awful for me. And so then once we started running clinical and we started seeing patients and like getting hands on, which I like a lot more, that to me became a lot more enjoyable in uni. Yeah. Yeah. I, I- I agree with Andre. The fact that um, you know you learn so much, you do all the theory, but then when you actually start practicing and, and doing what you're learning, everything just sort of falls in place, makes so much more sense. And the learning I, I found just was so much easier after that point, to a certain extent. No, 100%. I agree, Brendan. Like mm-hmm. it was way easier for me to be able to be like, okay, I learned this theory in a textbook, and now I'm seeing it in a clinical patient, and then that it stuck, right? Like stuff you saw in dental school still sticks. How was how your experience, Kat? Because you're originally an oral health therapist and, and then coming in. Um, well, I remember, I, I remember sitting next to you in one of our first uh, sim clinics and we had, to cut, we had to cut like a circle or something stupid like a line and my line was a zigzag, like seriously a zigzag and I honestly remember and I think we all felt the same way. We looked at it and thought, I can't do this. <laughs> and then literally I can't do this and Kat's is like, literally perfect <laughs> how was it for you I guess I had a few more years of experience which helped in that first <laughs> clinic so I'd, I'd already done all the the plastic teeth and then actually working for a few years as well so um look it it seriously helped a lot um in lots of different ways I, I think you probably all most people are aware when you learn something for the second time around it makes a lot more sense um regardless of what it is so for me especially those first sort of couple of years a lot of it was relearning stuff that I'd already learned so it kind of came back a lot quicker um, and it made a lot more sense the second time around so um, it really opened my eyes into what I probably didn't really understand as an oral health therapist learning it the second time around really consolidating that knowledge Um, and obviously practical it it helped because I already had a few years of well, a few years of uni and a few years of work under my belt. So, Those sim clinics must have been so boring for you. <laughs> We're all spending three hours cutting a line and struggling. <laughs> it was good because I wasn't working at the time. So that was my only practical at that time. So it was good. 
Did you guys ever look back at those? Do you still have them? Uh, I think I have them somewhere, but no, haven't looked at them. I think I've still I got my recently one. And, no, I moved recently and I found mine. They're awful. Holy <laughs> shit, they're bad. <laughs> yeah, I think I was going to throw in the towel because the next session it was indirect vision and I was like, I couldn't do this looking straight and now you want me to the mirror. Like, it's not happening do you guys just off the cuff do you guys find indirect so upper teeth in general a little bit easier now oh yeah or how do you feel yeah I always easier yeah so indirect. much easier i was i did a i did a what a class one out of four seven the other day and i did it in indirect vision because i'm like yeah this is easier now so. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll reassure a few of the students out there who are who are perhaps um noticing the struggles um that's really interesting. Brandon, did you find that the dental assisting and observing prior to dental school, university helped you um, understand things? Like I definitely found that that helped me, you know, in a way that it's similar to CAT, not to that level though. Mm. It did to a certain extent, but one of the things was that um, I always found it fascinating that, you know, a patient would come in with a problem and an idiot filling or something like that and just wondering how the dentist had that thought process of exactly, you know, diagnosing working out what was needed to fix the problem and then carrying out the procedure. Um, filling in that gap, I think, and was something that I looked forward to in dentistry because I, I didn't, you know, the dentist only needed filling and then you sort of sit there and assist and do suction and watch them cut the, the cavity and things like that. But not understanding exactly what they were doing and why they were doing, I think if I had have known that, um, I would have probably got a bit more out of it, if that makes sense. Um, you still get exposed to the dental side of things, but... Um, yeah, the, the, the thought process and things that goes behind um, procedures is something that um, that was sort of missing from that, I guess. And I should have asked more questions in hindsight to understand a bit better. Um, no, no, I didn't. There wasn't enough time with life and everything like that and study. No, I didn't. But I know that um, at our practice now we do have um, a student that's um, – in second year and assisting, you know, one day a week. And um, I think that that's, you know, if you can manage to do that, it would be a really good idea, I would say, for sure. Well, it's all that balance. Um, dentistry work four days a week, but long days, so it's still full-time work. Um, usually I have one day off midweek that, you know, I stay at home, get stuff done around the house and odd jobs and that sort of thing and just take your brain out sort of work, you know, do a lot of gardening and that sort of stuff. Um, and then usually every weekend, every second weekend, um, my wife and I and the dogs and, and that sort of thing, we all, yeah, <laughs> we head up to the hunter um, to, to help out um, at my, my old man's place up there, just um, doing things on the land and just getting outside, getting fresh air. And it's a complete change of scenery. And it, it's, um, it's good to have that balance. And I think back at the start, I would work as hard as I could everywhere. So, you know, at work at home and up there and it's too much so you need to remember to take time out to um you know set a, an achievable list of objectives and um remember to just take it easy and um and relax as well because otherwise you'll burn out pretty quick i completely agree brandon like balancing the things i'm doing like busy with home life and then full-time work and then the podcast and other things it's about you know partitioning your time and kind of having clear um ways you do things i also work four days a week and I personally, I started that, I think, so three years out 
Um, so it's just this year and it's been really good. I've really enjoyed that. Um, what, what, are you, what are the other guys? What do you guys do time-wise with dentistry? How many days do you work? How hard are you working? Well, I'm four days a week right now. Um, that's been kind of the go since I started picking up five days here and there as needed. Um, at our what practice, else do you do? Our hours, I am eight. I see patients from eight till four thirty. My columns are booked, and then our hygiene, because in Canada we have hygienists, um, they're booked from eight till five. So I always have two checkups to do at the end between four thirty and five. So we're kind of we're kind of running flat out right now. Um, we run only one associate, so me in the practice at a time. Um, we're looking to expand that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, everyone, we were just talking, we're a little bit, well, we're all pretty busy at the moment with the post-COVID, um, except for Kat, she's in Melbourne. Sorry, Kat. It'll, it'll happen again. You'll get back to it. Um, <laughs> let, let's keep going with that. Kat, what do you do? Um, uh, so, I usually work five days a week, so patients from 8.30 till 5. Um, and same as Andre, we've got a hygienist there uh, two or three days a week. Um, obviously not at the moment, but doing checkups in between as well. So ours really vary. So it sounds like you've got a good setup for the checkups because I could do no checkups one day or I could do eight checkups for the hygienist another day. So um, they can be really, really flat out days. Hmm. Can I ask you guys, because I work with hygiene team as well, but our checkups, we just book them into our book um, and our room uh, and it's an interesting way, maybe not the most efficient way, but how do you guys do it? Do you, Andre, obviously you go into the room, um, you spend how long with the patient, how much interaction do you have? Uh, Bone of contention in our office right now, Dave. (laughs) Um, We... We, we do it in the hygiene room. We don't move the patient. We have the patient in the hygiene room. And we, it depends on the patient. If it's just the checkup, it can be as little as three minutes. If everything's, I don't see anything on the x-rays, I don't see anything going on. It can be as long as 15 minutes if I'm having to diagnose a whole bunch of stuff because we haven't seen this patient in three or four years, right? Um, structurally, what you were talking about for, well, Kat was talking about how we order stuff we run two different colors on our screen. We have two different types, right? We have a hygienist only appointment. So a perio recall. So I don't need to go in. And then we have our hygiene recall. So that means I go in. So it's a once a year kind of thing for the patient to see. I was going to say, Kat, do you do a similar thing? Um, Yeah. So we, it's just on the, no different colors or anything like that, but it's just in the appointment uh, book that they need a recall. Um, And usually the hygienist will have taken any x-rays that are needed. Um, But we try and make sure we don't have new patients in with a hygienist. Um, We don't have anyone who's got, like they've called and said, I've got a broken tooth. We try and make sure we've moved them into the dentist book or made it really clear that that's not the appointment that they'll be getting that fixed. Um, And again, we're trying to make sure that the ones who haven't been for three or four years don't get booked in with a hygienist because they're basically a new patient again. So um, when that happens, it's awkward I suppose and quite time consuming so you've kind of got to explain to the patient actually you actually need to come back for a proper checkup or at least a consultation now to go through what we've found um, which most people are pretty pretty good with um, because they've still had their clean so they're happy Um, but yeah it can be a bit bit awkward sometimes. 
That's uh, exactly what I was thinking with that is some checkups are really in-depth, um, you know, diagnosis and the communication side and the rapport and all the rest of it. And then others, obviously, it's just like, hey, how you going? Yeah, things are good. See you later. Um, and so, the, it depends, I guess, on the patient. The systems you guys have, it sounds like it makes a lot of sense. Do you work with hygiene, actually? Yeah, I do. So, um, I've got a full-time hygienist that works with me as well. Um, we kind of do something, I guess, like a combination of what Andre and Kat are doing. Um, so the hygienist will see like all my recall patients, um, and the majority of the new patients as well. So I don't see any new patients as except for like, you know, emergencies and whatnot in my own book. Um, but we kind of have a system where, you know, the hygienist will do full photos, like an intra scan, everything in their appointment. And then um, she's really good. So she'll kind of um, prompt and start like things that she thinks needs to be charted. She'll kind of get that ball rolling, um, x-rays and everything are done. So when I'm coming in, um, she'll come get me, but then we'll have a quick chat, you know, before we go into the room, she'll be like, oh, you know, this one's, there's a lot kind of, and she'll send like a sticky note to our surgery. So my nurse knows like, you know, you're going to need five, 10 minutes for this. This is not something you can do. Um, just jump in. So then we'll delay bringing the next patient in. So I try to do the checkups in between patients while um, my surgery has been kind of wiped down and reset again. So yeah, I think it just depends because once you start getting into the groove of working, because I'm the only one that does the checkups in my surgery, so like the associates don't do it, it's just me, um, and let them kind of run on time in their own chairs um, and not have the stress of going. Because sometimes it can be stressful. When I was an associate, like it was really stressful going in and trying to manage that the hygienist isn't running late because then, you know, it's frustrating for them that they're running late because they're waiting for a checkup. And then um, so... I guess every practice is a little bit different and what works for each individual practice, but that's kind of what we do um, to make sure that you know, the associates doing their own thing, they're running on time, they don't have the stress of it, and then I'll manage working with the hygienist. And now we're in like a, in a sink, so it runs pretty efficiently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I guess there's many different ways to do it and I, it really depends on where you work, where you find a job. So we were all in very different areas and t- doing it all quite differently um actually you're working full-time you're working pretty flat out you're tell us about the role you're doing briefly at the moment um so yeah look i'm a i'm basically a principal dentist um at a um corporate um dental court um so they're like my basically it's it's a weird kind of role in the sense that you know um your it's not your practice but you run it like it's your practice so you're like the principal dentist and um you have you know all the associates and staff and everything and then you you have that you know fair bit of like the management side of things that you have to do when you are an owner so um there is that kind of component of it um so you know it's a good stepping stone i think and it kind of teaches me a lot about know because it's a big step up from being an associate um mm. and a lot more stresses and a lot more um i know yeah, uh, responsibilities yeah. and pressures that come with it but um no i'm enjoying it at the moment um but you know you, you're right because i work you know five days and then alternate weekends um it's a, it's a big workload 
Mm, yeah, and then add on the HR and all the other the fun stuff of business. And so you obviously get, um, you don't have to explain this, but you get remunerated in some way for that time. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's added benefit in some way. How, how's the experience been? I know you're relatively early in that path. Um, how's the experience been and, and do you recommend it to others? Um, I think it's a good stepping stone, I would say, definitely. Um, and it shows you quite early on like the challenges that you face when you know, you're no longer an associate like you know you don't just do your notes you know muck around with the staff in the tea room and then go home like um there's a lot more that goes into making sure that you have um you know because you know associate just focus on your clinical stuff which is awesome and I think that's what you need to do in the early days um but you know there's a lot that goes into making sure that you have the adequate support staff in your surgery every single day to help you see your patients. Um, and I think sometimes we forget we can be quite demanding as associates as well um, without even realising. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And seeing it from the other side, I was like, was I, like a, was I that much of a pain? Like, was I? <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are your associates going to listen to this actually? <laughs> we, we all know one of them quite well. Um that's interesting. So you're saying us associates just do our notes and hang around in the staff room and then go home. Is that what you're saying? Well, not not to like not not to that extent. I think you know um, different associates play like a different role, but I think um, especially helping out as much as they can. And I think you know clinical team always is you know very very dependable. But I think um, the other side of it is a lot more intricate. Like you know you don't realize how much is going around in the background, um, you know, because we get frustrated. Like I used to get really frustrated. Oh, like, why have I not got this composite that I exactly want right now to do this exact patient? And then you just don't realise that sometimes that one composite, you've only been using it once every three months on one particular type of case. And it's yeah. just not like a bit – because, you know, we forget dentistry – as much as we try to deny it is a business, like it's health, but it's also a business and you have to run a viable business. And um, you don't want that pressure and that stress when you're just out from uni and you're just focusing on, you know, trying to be a good dentist. Like, you know, we're always still trying to kind of be better dentists and be better clinicians and always self-improve. But um, it's good to absolutely not have to worry about the business side of things when you're first starting out. But as you kind of progress and you start to see the other side of it, you realise why, you know, your boss at the time told you you couldn't have that cool new toy that would make your life really easy um what do you mean you won't buy me a ceric yeah exactly right so um that was a very diplomatic answer actually by the way like, very diplomatic <laughs> i think that's a really good point and I, I think that is something that's worth really honing in is that um we have to remember that it is a business and we have a job um because it's a functioning business if we were lost leading the whole time then uh, we wouldn't have a job and our patients wouldn't get the care they need if that was the case. Um, we we went, did a webinar with um, Dr. Jesse Green. He's really well known for his business leadership and coaching and, and he was talking about how to become indispensable in your practice and basically it was to help you know, to be a big part of what makes that practice run, to help and to assist and to recognize exactly what you're saying. So it's some really, really good points. Um, you also touched on the stresses of you know, practice ownership or, or running the business and um, the stresses for all of us in all different ways. Has anyone experienced any burnout? I definitely have. Um, for a while last year, I was running five days a week 
two hygienists, uh, and then three hygienists one day a week. Um, <laughs> so when did you then, do the dentistry? <laughs> well, that was, there's the problem. So our office has currently has five, six operatory chairs. One, two, three. Yeah. We have six operatory chairs. And so at times there, I'd have, I'd get behind, I'd have my three patients sitting, waiting for me, plus three hygienists waiting for me. And like, I was exhausted. I couldn't do it. So we had to dial it back. I said, I can't do five days. And then it was getting back into realigning and resetting and taking some time out and doing things I like and then getting back into it. Right. Did you find the work was taking away from your personal hobbies and, and all that stuff? Uh, I think I wouldn't say the work itself, but I think the stress of the work was like by Friday night, I don't want to go outside. I don't want to go for a bike ride. I don't want to go for a run. I want to sit on the couch, have a beer and go to sleep. Right. Like that's the nature of it. Right. And then that wasn't a healthy lifestyle and it was okay. Reset, force yourself to get out, get some exercise, go do some yoga, go do something that you love and dial back the work. Like, yeah, that paycheck. Right. Oh, that's a sweet big paycheck right off the bat. You're going hard. Right. But at the same time, you're like, Hey, like, I don't know. For me, again, I have that outlook, right? It's not, it's not about the paycheck. It's about, can I pay my bills? Yes. Can I do the things I love? That's what I want. That's why I'm here. And that's why I'm a dentist. hundred percent. I could not agree more with that. It's we don't live to work. We work to live. And yeah, I think it's very easy to fall in that trap very early on. Most of us kind of come out of the gate wanting to work real hard, real fast. Well, not fast, but earn as much (laughs) as we can because we've... (laughs) No, we, we all want to work fast, Dave. Like, let's be honest. We all want to work fast, right? We, we want to, but we're not. <laughs> but we're not. And we, you get there, though, right? You get there. Exactly. I don't. You do get I'm there. slow as, but... <laughs> I, I've definitely gone through phases of, you know, burnout. And the word burnout, is not. I don't think it's like a switch where you turn to burnt out. I think you just start to really... Um, you slow down on how much you love what you're doing or you you less want to go to work on Monday morning and all those things. And even I've said it before, but I'm silly enough to start a dental podcast. Um, and, and so it might sound like I'm obsessed and I love dentistry and all I do is live and breathe it. But um, I've got the same attitude, which is this is all so I can enjoy my life and my family and my things I, I enjoy. And, you know, on Monday mornings, I often don't want to go to work it's like it's it's normal <laughs> um how, how about you uh, you guys anybody else experience any of that kind of thing yeah not not the full burnout but definitely days where especially in the busy periods and if you're not sort of looking after yourself where um it, it is it's hard and um hard to get you know the motivation up to go in there because you've also got to remember that everyone that comes to the door is terrified well, not everyone but most people are terrified and they don't want to be there and you have to be welcoming, happy, open, um, and bubbly all the time. And, and most of the time, you know, patients don't sort of reciprocate that. They sort of um, don't respond much to you when you're you know, trying to uh, get some sort of you know, animation or something and trying to make them feel comfortable. And it, it's quite taxing emotionally and mentally. Um, so definitely you do have those days where you feel like it's tough for sure. Yeah. Like to what Brendan said there, like, I noticed that part of that was like Friday afternoons, my empathy was zero, right? It, it sucks to say, but you become less empathetic to that patient that's in 
discomfort or pain because you're just so done with it all. And you're like, this does that's not that big of a deal. You, you'll be fine over the weekend, right? And you've got to, for me, that was a wake-up call of KK. I got to start, get my head on my shoulders and start caring again. Yeah, I was going to say, you got to be able to recognize that. So that's you know, definitely an important thing to look out for. Yeah, and I, and I think um, I would say, you know, burnout's kind of a a really, really common theme in dentistry. I think, um, you know, I've experienced it. I think everyone has experienced it. And I think um, the, the reality is that, you know, maybe, you know, one of the um, best things that have come out of this current, like, global pandemic is that dentists and other health professionals, especially dentists, have kind of um, learnt their own limitations and learned that, you know, if you're sick as a dog, you know, the expectation was always go to work, like suck it up, like, you know, what are you going to stay home? Like you don't take a day off. And that's what leads to that burnout. Like we've always thought, you know, shit, if I'm working five days a week, I can't take a day off. Like, yeah, there's a monetary aspect that I'm not getting paid, but also there's an expectation that, you know, why do you need time off? Like, And especially the older school of thought um, and the older generation of dentists never took time off. Like, you know, they'll be – They'll proudly tell you, oh, I haven't taken a day off in 20 years, and you think that that's what you have to do as well. Um, and you try and, you know, you might start to get burnout, but then no one talks about it either. So you kind of in this indefinite loop where, you know, people kind of just quit the profession because, you know, they'd rather say oh, I'm doing something different than accept that they can only work three days a week. And that's fine. But no one tells you that it's fine. And I think that's a good message to try and get out there is that, you know, you don't have to be working seven days a week to be a good dentist. You could be doing it doing three. It's one of the best parts. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's important as well. Like I know my boss is always like, oh, can you do Saturdays? Can you do evenings? Can you do this? And like I play sport on the weekends and I train during the week. So, no, I didn't want to do evenings and I didn't want to do Saturdays. And sometimes you have to be strong enough to actually say, no, that's not what I want to do. And like, it's hard because they are your boss. Yes, you're relying on them for your job, but you also don't want to say it just to please them as well if it then makes your life harder in the long term. Yeah, you're not helping. Yeah, there's definitely those two sides. Like, you know, you're not helping them if you then get so burnt out with your job that you quit. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So you have to, it has to be this balance. But I I guess... um, Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I want to just say, kind of coming back to what Akshay was talking about, the business ownership side of things, there's that, there's a balance there, isn't there? And and we have to assist them in what they need, but at the same time, not burn ourselves out and not make those decisions that hurt them unnecessarily. So, Kat, now you're doing full-time private practice, but uh, you did start off part-time public, part-time private. And I know before that you were doing some public work as an oral health therapist. Tell us about the experience in public and, you know, the pros, the cons and and your experiences. It's really interesting. So, as an oral health therapist, um, I actually worked at the same public clinic as I did as a dentist. Um, Just by coincidence, I happened to apply for the job and and get it there. Um, But I actually found public as an oral health therapist is probably a better workplace than private if you like doing filling, seeing kids, that kind of thing. So private tends to be a lot more hygiene um, and you don't have the support that you have in public. So public generally are bigger clinics um, and you've got 
people who've been there for for many years often um, and they have a lot of experience working with kids and and doing that kind of thing. So I found that as a neurohealth therapist, I probably enjoyed the public more than the private. Um, Obviously, the pay doesn't uh, equate in that sort of sense, but um, the rewardingness of the the work. Um, In terms of as a dentist, it's quite different. So you've got a lot more limitations um, in public than what you do in private. So you know, you you have all the recommendations by the, the governing public health sort of bodies in terms of what kind of care you can provide, what materials you've got. Um, for instance, root canal treatment on a on a tooth, it has to be an anterior or a functional tooth. It has to be basically your last standing tooth for it to warrant getting a root canal, which is a really tough mm. decision sometimes to say, okay, well, we mm. can extirpate this, but if you want to save the tooth, you've got to go privately. Um and I found those decisions really difficult. Um, I didn't enjoy not being able to provide the care that people actually needed. Um, and mm. all around it kind of ended up being quite a depressing kind of situation in terms of just like I liked the people I worked with. I liked most of the patients were quite nice. Um, but just not being able to provide the proper care, it really gets you down. So, yeah, when the opportunity came up to go full-time at the private practice I was at, I, yeah, jumped at the chance. A lot of uh, graduates look towards doing a a stint in public um, for whatever reason. Do you still recommend that? Look, I think it's good. Um, You don't have to build up your books. So, you are busy from the day you start. Um, You are seeing toothaches. So, your emergency treatment planning gets a a lot of... uh, work um you get a lot of experience in that way you also have a lot of support in terms of um again lots of experienced clinicians so if you've got to do a surgical at you know whatever time of the day you just knock on someone's door and say hey you know i'm doing this at at two o'clock can you come in and help me if i need you and yeah no worries sure thing um and they kind of don't care if their patient then has to wait because they're public and there's kind of not that expectation they kind of expect that they have to wait longer um, so you've got that support. So I think it is good in some respects, but it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And from what I've heard, we, we know we all have a good friend who's um, done a lot of public work and she really loves it and, and everyone's got a different experience, I guess. But that's it's really interesting. Um, Brandon, you, you're a bit of a different kind of pathway in that, as we said earlier, your, your dad is a dentist and he runs a practice that's pretty pretty large and successful and um, you've had that experience of watching and that's kind of how you got down this path. Um, for the others that be listening that um, have a similar experience or maybe a friend or a family, was there any challenges with transitioning into a practice that's run by a family member? Um, fortunately for me, no, um, because I've been... Um, you know, associated with the practice for a long time and you know, obviously being assistant for a few years and um, going there ever since I was a little kid. Um, no, honestly, I, I don't. I didn't find that there were many challenges at all. In fact, I found it um, quite um, an easy transition and the fact that I knew the other dentists that were there, I knew all the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the assistants and receptionists and things like that. Um, no, I, I was yeah, very fortunate that it was relatively easy transition. For sure. And I appreciate that that's a pretty unique situation too. Mm, yeah, I guess um, when you talk about working with family and friends, there's, <laughs> there's a million different ways I can go, I guess. But um, what about the patients? Did they did they like the fact that you were, you know, mini 
um, Dad? Oh, <laughs> a few did, and um, it, it was um, quite sort of, you know, you feel pretty chuffed because quite a few times he'd be full, um, and so they, they'd say, oh, do you want to see his son? And I say, oh, yeah, sure, sure, and I see him, and um, a few of the patients would say, oh, it's fantastic, don't tell your dad, but I'm going to come and see you from now on. <laughs> I think, oh, this is exciting, but then you get other people that would come in, and um, I remember one patient, she said to me, look, I don't think you're going to know how to fix my problem. And it was something like a chipped tooth. Uh, and you get other people like I had to take a deciduous tooth out and and the mother said to me, have you done this before? Do you, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> yes, yes, I did go to uni for quite a while. I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, but, yeah, yeah. so I think the majority of people, they, they like that sort of family aspect of things. Um, so, yeah. I guess you can you can ride on the coattails of trust in a way, yeah, um, which is a huge benefit. It's interesting. My experience, I, I clearly remember this case where I was observing the principal and um, the patient um, made it very clear that he would never see myself or the other associate, actually James Herbalist, as we started. Um, you know, he didn't want us practicing on them. Mm. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, I guess we've all... Because you were new grads, yeah? Just because, um, and I guess maybe because we're observing, we we're literally watching, but we were registered dentists. Yeah. yeah. Um, makes us look like we're less trained, like I guess, or something. Mm. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But um, I guess we all experience those those kinds of things. It's part of it. Dave, before we, before we go on, Brendan, can I ask a question? Yes. Um, have you and your dad ever disagreed about treatment plans? Or do you um, share patients? No, um, we we're pretty similar people. Except I'm I'm a bit more eccentric in other ways, but um, <laughs> um, personality-wise, we're pretty straightforward and logical, and and I think reasonable. So um, I trust his um, opinions, and um, and he trusts mine as well. So if we're discussing something, and I provide you know my thoughts and. And he gives me feedback, and um, we come to common ground pretty quickly. So that's that's quite good. Um, yeah. So no, we never really dis- we might have different ideas in, in way to do things, but um, we we yeah, we both be reaching the same outcome for sure. So that's um that's good. What about you, Andre? What about me, for what? Have you had differences of opinions? Oh yeah. And how did you manage it? Yeah. Um, how do you manage it? So, because we run two dentists, and so we bounce patients between each other. Um, most patients are pretty okay with it. With If I say something like, ah, I want to do this, right? Or the other dentist who um, doesn't want to do something that I've treatment planned. Um, we just have an upfront conversation with the patient. Say, hey, like, ah, I don't think this is good. Congratulations, you got a hall pass. Have a nice day, right? And the patients are cool with it. Um, and then the other dentist and I, we have a super good relationship. So we just have a, we have a chat. Like if we try and we're trying to run one day, we're both of us on. So we have that time to sit down and talk about what's going on or we'd leave each other sticky notes or we'd have a phone call in the evening and just say, Hey, I saw your patient today. Da, 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 this went on. I don't think we should do it because of this. What do you think? Oh, I see. Yeah, I can, I can get that. Or if it felt, or one of us felt strongly that it needed to be done, we just rebook the patient with our, with us. Right. So that's kind of how we manage it. Just, I think the biggest thing is just being upfront and having that professional conversation, right? Yeah, for sure. Professional conversation, (laughs) like having a conversation in a manner that's professional. Yeah. We'll still joke around and talk about it, but like, it'll be a, it'll be respecting each other's knowledge. Like the other dentist, he was, he's been out three or four years more than I have. Right. 
starting mm-hmm. out, I'm going to trust his treatment plan. Okay. But like blind leading the blind sometimes, sometimes I'm like, yeah, like, let's just watch this. Let's keep an eye on it. And I like to say that there was that study where there was, I think it was like 10 different dentists and 10 different treatment plans. I usually make a comment about that, trying to just reference that this is pretty normal and, and yeah, and I think it's about being honest with the patient and, of course, having that conversation with the clinician and making sure you're not missing something, I guess. Um, but, yeah, most, most patients understand and that's yeah. okay. And, like, the thing we see a lot of is, like, well, small town, we see a lot of patient hopping between dentists, right, mm. coming in for a second opinion and that, that's that conversation every time okay, this is what I see. This is what a de- other dentists may see something different, but this is what I think, right? And having mm-hmm. that upfront conversation. Because we see a, quite a, like for a small town, like what we have four dental practices in town, we see a lot of patient hopping, which surprises me. I was going to ask this. Was, <laughs> so Kat, you still enjoy cleans? <laughs> I still enjoy cleans. I mean, I, I don't do lots of perio cleans. I do refer them to the hygienist, but I do routine recalls with a clean or uh, new patient's with a clean, which are the best ones, of course, because they haven't been in for <laughs> years and years. <laughs> and the before and, and after you're pictures. Way too excited. <laughs> the before and after pictures always get um, mm. like, oh, my God, like what's going on? What have you done to my teeth? <laughs> <laughs> Why is there so much missing? Yeah, exactly. You, you put gaps in. <laughs> well, I had a little kid, um, it was, it was uh He's only, I think, about 12, but he had a really heavy build-up of calculus in his lower anteriors and um, cleaned it all off. And he said, oh, it feels like my teeth are social distancing now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's witty. That yeah, funny. yeah. It was, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Brandon, you make a really good point. Um, there's, you know, quite a few of our friends in our, our close group Um similar so there's um quite a few practices that are like brendan where you they don't have hygienists and they do a lot of their own work uh hygiene work um and then a lot of us do have hygienists or oral health therapists um there's many different ways for it to happen i guess i guess what's most important is that you you're focusing and looking at the gingival health and not missing perio because that was something that was pretty common perhaps in the past well i I think that's anyone even even with having a hygienist right like i don't know how again i in canada they have their own licensing, but they're still working under your license when they're doing perio, right? So it's still on you to actually know what the diagnosis is. You can't just, well, I don't know. I can't just let them just go and do it. Like I want to, I want to come in for a checkup. I want to know how perio is looking. I want to know that too. Like it's not only that. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Let's um, let's talk a bit about Canada, if that's all right. Um, what are the, how was the transition from Australian dental school to Canadian practice? So I don't think it was a huge jump being in Canada versus being in Australia. Like talking you mean, with you all mean of our like the dental disease. The dental the dental <laughs> dentistry is the same anywhere except no one has fluoride <laughs> in the water here. So I just see a lot of kids with cavities. Um, but <clears throat> I think no, I think the the transition I think is hard anyways, no matter what, going from school going to private practice or going into the real world of dentistry. I think your transition is going to be hard no matter what. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't want to say it's any different coming to Canada. Um, we have the same cavities. We have the same equipment by and large. Yeah. Maybe your prescription dosages are just a little bit different, but if you get it wrong, the pharmacy will call you and tell you that you're wrong. Like it's not a big change that way. 
I wouldn't say, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's dentistry, it's dentistry. I think the big change is high, going to a practice with hygiene, right? You're not just looking at one patient. You're looking at three, four, five, six patients in an hour. And you've got to be, you've got to learn those skills to be able to, okay, I'm here, I'm doing this, I'm here, I'm doing this. And that, that gives me heart palpitations. Um, it's it's interesting, David. It's interesting times. It's it's definitely sometimes you're kind of like you get bogged down, but that's support staff. Like actually I was talking about like it's it's having support staff, your assistants, or as they prefer to be called here, certified dental assistants, because that's what they are, CDAs, um, having them pointing you where you need to go. Cause sometimes I'll be knee deep in an extraction that's not going well, and I've got four other people that are waiting. My CDA will go, hey, Andre, jump out. Your hygienists have all walked by saying they need checkups. So I think that transition was the biggest one for, uh, for me personally. Um, but dentistry is dentistry is dentistry, right? Like we're all trained. You write the Canadian board exam, you come back. You're on the same footing as everyone else. Sometimes, somewhat I feel you're probably on a bit better of a footing when I look at Sydney grads versus UBC grads. Don't tell UBC grads. I'm sorry, but Sydney is a <laughs> pretty good school. <laughs> It's all right. This is um, mostly Australian, 90% Australian listeners, so we should be right. <laughs> are, are there any, um, so it's very similar, but are there any things you would like to share with those who are maybe final year Canadian, they're planning to go home? Um, is there any tips or any advice? Network. Network, network, network. If you're planning on going home, when you're home in your second, third, fourth year, if you know where you want to live, Go talk to dentists, start that network process now. Cause a lot, like a lot of people hire, okay, I know what a Sydney grad looks like, right? I know what their kind of work is. I know what a UBC grad is. I grad from UBC. I kind of know what the, the schooling is like getting out and putting yourself out there and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Meeting people, um, I think is huge. And I think that would be my piece of advice. Like a piece of advice I'd give call a representative from like Henry Schein or Sinclair, which are like the big dental marketing companies, call them and say, Hey, I'm a new grad. I want to kind of live in your area. Do you know any dentists that wouldn't mind meeting me? They're though. Most of them will be more than happy to talk to you. Like, that's, I think, I think that'll be good. I was just about to say, that's one of the best pieces of advice I've heard for getting a job. I think I completely echo the, you know, get out there, network, ask, you know, Make sure people know before you've actually graduated. I think that's crucial. But asking a rep, that's great. Like, for instance, I um I had contact with a rep recently, um, accidentally actually, and she instantly connected me with two really high-profile speakers in Australia, um, specialists who will be on the podcast. That's um, <laughs> what's that's like a lead-in. I'm not going to tell you who it is, so you've got to keep listening. Um, no, but, but the point is that rep, good reps know everyone. And they also know their struggles and they know what they need. And, and that's just fantastic advice. Yeah, no, but like other than that, like it's clinical dentistry. Like I think it's, you get in, you get, you, you start learning quick and you learn on the job. Yeah, that's fair enough. How's um, the, so there's, you know, oversupply, undersupply, you know, how is it getting a job in Canada? Um, I'm rural. So super easy. <laughs> if you <laughs> if you're if you're willing to go rural, um, there are jobs there. Um, the dentists are wanting to retire. They're wanting to hire associates because they want to work two or three days a work week, and they'd like you to work four or five days a week, right? Um, 
larger centers, definitely a bit more competitive, I guess the word would be. Um, there is definitely an oversupply. Like if you're going to a larger center, from what I've been hearing is expect to work at a couple different practices because mm. you probably won't have full-time open practice. Um, so probably similar to the Australian yeah, um, deal I, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's very similar, right? In small town, you'll probably get a practice to work with. But again, it's most people that I've talked to are able to find a job where they want to work. Um, no, no, I was just going to say a lot of a lot of UBC, like a lot of Canadian trained dentists, also want to go rural at first too, um, because there's that idea that you're going to get way better faster. Mm. It's not for everyone. I'd agree with. I'm regional. I wouldn't say rural because we're still, you know, eighty thousand in the region. But um, how big is your area, uh, Andre? Uh, so where I am is a in town is a population of ten thousand people. Probably yeah. around the area, it's like fifteen. But then there's three other towns that are fifteen thousand people, twenty thousand people all around. So our region's fairly large. Um, we and there's a lot of dentists here. There's a lot of dentists in this area because we all want to live here because we all want to go snowboarding. We all go biking. But yeah, I'll, I'll come see you soon, mate. <laughs> yeah, when one, COVID's done, I'll when COVID's done, you can come visit, or you can come two week quarantine in my basement. But like, so, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound quite as exciting. But um. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's there. But yeah, you're gonna ask awesome. something, yeah. Um, well, I was going to say, what about Sydney and Melbourne? Kat and Brendan, actually, do you have anything to add for getting a job? How busy it is in your areas? I think, again, if you're, if you're looking in the city or in the suburbs, it's a lot more difficult than if you're willing to, to go out to the suburbs. So I'm over 30 k's from the city. So, um, you know, it's, it's an outer suburb. It's um, lower socioeconomic status, um, but it's really busy. So we have lots and lots of patients and we get new patients all of the time. So I think if you're willing to, if you're not fixed on where you want to work, there's jobs out there. I guess, I guess I'll just echo what, like, Andre is saying. Like, Australia is pretty much just, you know, um, the Canada of the Southern Hemisphere. So, you know, <laughs> so true. It's so true. Everything is pretty pretty much similar. Um, I think uh, the – and just what Kat was saying, building on that, like, as a, as a new graduate looking for a job, you know, you need experience and you need to be busy. And you need to be open to traveling somewhere that will give you that. Um, if that's 40, 50 Ks from where you live, like just do it. Um, I think, you know, some people are in more unique situations like Brendan, you know, you've got like family, friends or something that, you know, um, can offer you a position and that's fantastic too. Um, but that's not, that's the exception, not the rule. Um, I think so be open to traveling um and like andre said if you have to work in two or three places do it um the, i think it's moved away from people being in the one practice but that's not a bad thing because you know each practice like we've been saying the whole time so far works differently so you're getting two unique experiences um different patients um different ways of working and at the end of the day you like you know um Dental school is just actually, I think, end of dental school is the beginning of your learning. Like I feel like it's more exponential once you graduate. Um, so if you're at two places, that's awesome. Um, and don't take that as a negative, like, oh, my friend's working at just one practice. No, like you're working at two. It's just as good an opportunity. Yeah. 
just to act, to echo what actually saying, like I came into one practice where I basically became the only dentist at that practice other than one dentist who I don't see. I take a huge value in working with other people and seeing different techniques and seeing how different people use different instruments, different techniques, different materials. And like, if you can get that opportunity that it works for you, that you can work in two or three different practices, I think it builds your skill set and builds your diversification. Like you don't have to use the same composite that your school did for the rest of your career. <laughs> really? No. Oh. <laughs> so we actually recently had a really good podcast with Dr. Anthony Mack and he, um, if people don't know him, he's an excellent dentist doing some high level composite and, and ceramic work and a lot of other things. And he, his skills, it was really interesting to hear that he worked in multiple different quite varying practices. So emergency care versus very high end care and then ortho practice and, and lots of different things. And that's what built him to who he is now. Um, I, I really, I agree. It's actually a benefit to have multiple different experiences if that's what you want. Um, I'm in the one business but multiple locations and so the different locations have different demographics and therefore slightly different styles of dentistry which is which is in itself helpful as well. Let's talk a little bit about um, since kind of graduation and what you've done in dentistry. You're saying the learning only starts when you graduate really. It's exponential from then. Um, I know, Akshay, you've done a lot of stuff, you know, implants, some orthodontic stuff. Um, everyone's doing their different things. Um, what are you guys focusing on and what's helped you the most in CPD? Um, look, I, I think for me the, the most humbling thing is to get the, the basics right. And I think as a new grad, try not, you know, it's tempting, but you don't, you not need to do Invisalign. You don't need to do implants. You don't need to do, you know, even to a certain extent, I'd say molar root canal. You know, just focus on the mm-hmm. basics, you know. Um, do your extirpations, do your, um, you know, anterior up to premolar root canals. Um, get them really good, like, you know, feel real comfortable with your um, hand-eye coordination, your diagnosis, your, you know, your dexterity, like get it to a point, you know, try just do anterior, not anterior, but like you know, your premolar, first molar crowns to start with, um, book yourself sufficient time. And that's what I did. Like that's what my kind of um, my boss had time had advised me. And he said, look, you know, I will never um, stop you doing anything. And um, I think this is actually the point I wanted to raise before is, you know, about as a dentist, like, you know, you've got your own clinical autonomy. Never let go of that, you know, but you need to balance it with knowing your own limitations. And that's where your mentors, principals, um, you know, you're going to have people that, are not good that you work for and you need to be open to that. Not everyone's going to be a great mentor, a great boss. So, you know, you're a dentist, you have your own clinical autonomy, hold on to that. Don't let that go. But at the same time, learn when to take advice, learn when to, you know, you need to balance it. And that's something that will come with time, but hold on to that. But if you can get your basics right, then you can build on it like it's just a foundational thing and you know dental school is the first like concrete slab as you're building this house and if you try to you know start picking out the the chandelier at the end um you're gonna you're gonna struggle so 
stick to the basics and don't compare like don't compare to your friend down the road that's got a Ceric machine and is doing 50 units of fixed pros already you know that's just focus on what you're doing and um, I think that's the biggest pearl of wisdom I got when I first started and I you know I didn't kind of crown on my first year at the time I was like man like, I'm never going to be able to cut crowns but you know that's not where I am now um, so the like the, the kind of continuing education I did in the early days was you know your posterior composites you know um, I did stuff on communication the stuff that you really I thought were the gaps in my knowledge for basic dentistry um, and you know you accelerate quite quickly once you have your foundation down so I mainly focused on on that to start with, but now you know I'm doing more complex treatment with like implants and you know more surgical stuff, sinus lifting. But that all came much later um, after I kind of got that bread and butter down packed. Um, because you know you go to courses and sometimes nothing wrong with that if you're looking for a foundational point of view. But you know you see a new grad in a sinus lifting course and you're like, man do you really think you should be here? Like, you know, um, like can you do a, um, like a DO on a gagger with, like, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like we struggle exactly. with that now. Why don't you try and get that aspect of it comfortable so you're not stressed? Because I remember when I, was, when I first graduated, I was stressed. If I saw a root canal in my book, that's all I was thinking about the whole day. <laughs> that shit. I Mate, I'm that. still like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, that's that's a bit for me. Um, I think that is fantastic advice and I think like really good advice because, um, it, you know, actually it, what you said especially is starting slow, even not doing a lot of fixed pros early on. Um, but like now, you know, you're, you're really running relatively speaking if that makes sense. So, um, it doesn't take long for you to get there and now that you have those foundations under your belt, everything else grows much, much quicker. Um, what, what's uh, everybody else's experience? I think we all we were all nodding a lot when Akshay was talking. Then, so um, I think we all tend to agree. <laughs> any uh, any CPD that's really helped you, or or things that you've done that's really accelerated your learning. In terms of CPD, definitely try and do a, a very broad range of things. Um, don't don't try and focus on just a, the one aspect of. Um, treatment you should try and at least in your first couple of years just get as much as you can okay of lots and lots of different things because the more knowledge and information that you have about um, the broader um, aspects of dentistry I found that um, that definitely helps in diagnosis treatment planning that sort of thing definitely I like how you tie that back to diagnosis and treatment planning like we don't know what we don't know and so if you don't have that understanding you can't treatment plan properly yeah it's really good absolutely yeah, I was just going to say, like, I tried to keep it to things that I could actually then apply to what I was doing in my clinic. So we didn't have a CEREC machine. So there's no no point in me going to do a CEREC course because what's the use of that? So I tried to keep it to things that were, you know, posterior composites, anterior composites, um, composite veneers. Um, like we didn't have a lot of need for porcelain veneers. So, I mean, I could go to a porcelain veneer course, but our patients just aren't in that um, that space place to be able to afford that kind of treatment so I can learn all about it but I'm just not going to be able to apply that in practice at this point in time so it's important to know about all the options but you want to be going to courses especially hands-on courses that you can then actually go and apply to your patients yeah I, 
I think, I think echoing what Kat's saying, like look at what your clinic needs and it ties into what Aksha was saying as an associate and what Dave's saying, like how can you help build this practice? So look at what you can do and what you need in the practice and take it. Right. I took a sleep apnea course, like first month out. Have I used it? Nope. Right. Like it's not really a practice builder, right? It's not helping out in the practice. So did I. <laughs> are you, are you using, are you using your sleep apnea course, David? No, I, I reckon I'm, I'm talking to a lot of patients about it. I'm rec- um, they're recognizing it and getting some diagnoses that wouldn't have happened otherwise happened. So I think it's been very positive. I've done, zero MAS splints. So, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm the same thing. You have, but it, again, I don't regret taking the course because it's gained me knowledge. We have these conversations with patients and we're increasing that. But like, I'm not selling a sleep apnea appliance every week, right? Like it's not, it's not there. Um, I think the CE that I took echoing what everyone's saying, it's taking, it's getting your basics down. It's getting these ones that you can see gaps in of your knowledge from school to what you're using in practice. Like what we had one SIM clinic on stainless steel crowns. I took a, I took a hands-on on stainless steel crowns so I could figure out how to put a stainless steel crown on a kid way faster because they're screaming in my chair. Right. So that kind yeah, of thing. That must be real tough in an area without fluoride and yeah. Oh that's, man. That's my, that gives me palpitations as well. It's, so. <laughs> it's, it's different. Like, and it's, it's having, and again, so I don't, we're going to veer off topic here a little bit, but like our area is very anti-fluoride in general, like anti-fluoride toothpaste. There's a company in the neighboring town that makes their own toothpaste out of charcoal and some colloidal silver and some mud basically. (laughs) And, and people are using it and you have to have those conversations with people about, okay, like this is why we need this. Right. But we, we do see a lot of early childhood caries and like, there's not a lot of support here. Like, there's two dentists that can run hospital in the area. They're booking into January, February right now. We're on the border of non-fluoridated area. So about two kilometers down the road, fluoride stops. So we get the same thing. We get a lot of people who are in non-fluoridated or they're on tank water because um, they're coming off properties as opposed to suburban blocks. And yeah, you see carries. I mean, I guess we're lucky we've still got the public dental services and the dental hospital um, who are able to see them if people are eligible. But um, COVID's kind of put a spanner in that as well because the, the dental hospital hasn't done GAs for kids for months. I think they've started again now slowly. But, yeah, it's, you know, the backlog is going to be incredible. Mm. Area is similar to that as well with a lot of people on property and that's very interesting. Some people on property um, are really onto it and, you know, or- you know, doing all the right things and others aren't as aware. So, it's, it's very relevant in rural and regional settings. Let's, um, let's kind of tie things up a bit. I like to get a bit of advice for students and grads and this whole thing's pretty much been advice for students and grads. But um, I want you guys to think, like, go back to yourself when you graduated. Is there something you could have told yourself that um, would have helped, would have stopped you getting into some sort of mistake or, or maybe got you more comfortable faster? being learning to say no to stuff early on right there's a lot of pressure for me to just do it just get in and do it like and i think learning to be like hey like that's pushing my limit a little bit learning that patient right if they're a cool patient if they're chill in the chair and chill 
in the chair is is good. And then you can kind of maybe do something a little on the edge of your envelope. But learning that you can say no and you can refer and you can say this isn't something that I want to do. I think learning that early on and learning to kind of read patients would have been super helpful for me. <laughs> Speaking of molar endo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do less molar endo now than I did in my first year, I think. I think um, it's kind of building on that like network with your um, specialists in the area. So um, I don't know, most, most of us ended up in a place different to where we studied. So didn't know any of the specialists in the area. Um, network with them, get to know them because if you do come into trouble, you can pick up the phone and call them and, you know, most of them are really, really happy to, to help you out or give you advice on a case. Like I've got an endodontist, I regularly send an email with an x-ray, you know, let me know what you think, I, this is what I think and he'll be like, yep, that, that sounds like a good plan to actually I'd do this um, and it just, you can sort of prevent those problems from happening if you've already had that conversation with someone who's got more experience than you. I, I would say um, two, two things I wish I could tell myself. Um, number one is like within the practice, um, learn to speak up as a new grad. Um, and that's going to break that into two things. Um, one is learn to speak up when, you know, you can't do something or, you know, there's something that you find that you're good at and you want to learn more of. Um, you know, communicate that to front desk get those patients booked in, you know, build your confidence that way. But also, you know, learn from your experienced nurses. Like you might be the dentist, but like there's a lot you need to learn and they know a lot and Mm -hmm. they can make and break your like first few months. Um, You know, they can hide a lot of your mistakes and, you know, guide you. So, you know, have that rapport with your dental assistants you know I remember like distinctly when I first started I was doing like dentures and you know I was used to like dental school like you know some type of ridiculous contraption to get a bite that you had to use with like different (laughs) types of wax and you know I'm like you know using all these terms hey can you get me this wax this wax and my dental assistant just looks at me and goes you know grab this do this this is what the principal does and, you know, this is, mind you, after 20 minutes of me not listening to her and then she showed me and then I did it and 30 seconds later I had a perfect bite and it taught me in that moment that, you know, um, just be humble. Like you've got so much to learn and you might be fresh, you know, ready to like use your skills, but um, they know a lot and your support staff is, you know, biggest piece of advice. Please, please listen to them. Um, and 100%. Yeah. And um, the second thing is, you know, like Kat was saying, you need to go to your local, like I'm not sure in Canada, but like in Australia, like, go to your local study groups, ADA meetings or whatever it is. Um, you, Unless you're fortunate enough to work in a big practice like Dave when you've got a lot of dentists around you and you can kind of bounce ideas off people, if you're kind of working by yourself um, or just one other dentist, then, you know, get out there, you know, put your name out there because, you know, then you'll feel comfortable. You've had dinner with the endodontist to send him an email. Like if you've had, you know, the orthodontist sitting on your table at, like, you know, at a dinner party, you know, you'll be more comfortable. And as you get more comfortable, 
you will learn more because you'll send stuff out and then they will send stuff back to you. They'll be like, oh, you know, I saw your patient. Please take this tooth out, this tooth out. And then you're involved in the care and then you learn and it's almost by osmosis. So, you know, there's a lot that you can do within the practice, but then there's also things you can do outside, but they kind of work in parallel, not mutually exclusive. Yeah, really good points. I know I got kicked under the chair a few times by experienced DAs and it was very helpful. <laughs> it's, it's always helpful when they give you one of those, eh? My DA still kicks me, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's got nothing to do with patient care though, does it? <laughs> um, look, I'll add um, definitely just remember um, that it can – when you um, – when you start in dentistry, it can be your first year can be a baptism of fire. It um, it can be very overwhelming at times, and you learn a lot um, very quickly. Um, just remember to find the balance. So you're going to get stressed out. Make sure you look after yourself. You know, exercise, go for walks, get fresh air, focus on things you enjoy in life. Of course, you know you enjoy dentistry and that sort of stuff, but do the things that that make you happy to make sure that you can cope with everything basically. And um, yeah, that's basically it. Just do, do the things you enjoy. I think that's such a, it's a perfect way to finish this off because I, I think that is a crucial component for all of us when we graduate and throughout our career. I harp on this a bit, but the burnout, the stresses of dentistry, like we have some wonderful aspects to our job and our life because we can, we could even work three days and still make the money we need. It's, it's great, but it's also stressful. So I really like that you brought that up. There's something I do and I've talked about recently is the, um, well, Dr. Eneline Weston brought this up to my attention. The, um, the third space, which is having that kind of timeout zone, if that makes sense. And for me at lunch, I tend to get out of the practice. I'll go for a walk. I'll sit in the sun. I'll go to the river. Um, and those things just keep me you know, like so much better, so much more on onto it in the afternoon. Otherwise, I, I kind of struggle. But um, that's fantastic. Thank you so much guys for coming on and sharing your thoughts with the dental head start podcast kat andre brandon akshay thank you so much thanks david thanks david that was a ton of fun to record with as i said some people who truly got me through dental school and you can really see that with what the points they bring up i think there's tons of value in what they've said today and that's just scratching the surface of of the things that um, new graduates or people who are just ahead of you can teach you if, if they are this is not the last time we'll do something like this and I'd love to hear if you enjoyed it and if you found this useful, you can reach out to them um, through me or with the information in the show notes. So thank you so much to Kat, Andre, Akshay and Brendan for coming on the show. Now we've got the right global segment and today Dr. Lincoln Harris is talking about anxious patients. He starts with the words, I love them. And I think from there, it makes your vision change around this and it makes you realize the potential of doing good and helping someone who really does struggle. Um, Dr. Lincoln Harris is obviously very well known in the industry for all that he does and he and the platform Ripe Global is something that can really help you become a better graduate. We have partnered with them and they're offering our listeners a huge discount code they are giving you 30% off for life so if you use that code when you sign up you will get that discount ongoing for as long as you're a part of their platform which is always evolving find that at dentalheadstart.com slash ripe global and when we negotiated this it was for a limited time it's available now until the 31st of october we're hoping to extend it but if you want this grab it now thank you dr lincoln harris 
anxious patients, I love them. Yes, they're difficult to deal with, and yes, they need a lot of extra attention, but I like them because they, if you can make an anxious patient feel comfortable, they are so loyal to your practice. They are not price sensitive, and they will stay with you for years. Uh, and more importantly, anxious patients often haven't been to a dentist for 10 or 20 years. So on a scale of needing work or not needing work, these patients actually need help as compared to the patients who are not anxious and go all the time and actually don't need any help at all. So I first of all decide if you want to have a practice with anxious patients, but if you want to do complex work, you should. The key with the anxious patient is not to think that the anxious patient is unusual and that the non-anxious patient is normal. That is actually the reverse. It's com completely normal to be anxious about getting dental work done. Our mouth is the most sensitive, intimate part of the body. It's our airway and most of the procedures we do, if they were anywhere else on the body, you would have a general anaesthetic. How do I deal with them? This starts with setting expectations. So if you want to increase someone's stress, surprise them. So we don't want any surprises in our practice. That means from the first phone call, they are told exactly what's going to happen in that first visit and what's going to, what it's going to cost and how long it will be. So that's to avoid surprises. So you want to continue this all through all of the appointments that they know exactly what is going to happen, what's involved and how much it will cost. When the patient walks in the door, we want them to feel calm or as calm as possible. The sense of smell is deeply tied to emotion and it's deeply tied to our limbic system. When we smell things, it gives us strong feelings. It takes us back to a place. And when you walk into a clinic, if it smells like a dental surgery and it looks really clinical, but particularly the smell, it will immediately bring out the anxiety that we've got from previous visits if we have them. So one of the things that can help is remove dental smells from your office. There are a couple of ways to do that. We do it by having a fresh air conditioner. So our air conditioning system takes fresh air in. And there are a couple of dental materials like oil of clothes that I don't keep in the practice. And if I do ever use something that smells a lot, we immediately run coffee uh, through a coffee filter or through the espresso machine to get rid of that smell. The second thing is when dealing with the anxious patient is you want to reduce kinetics. Kinetics is how fast people are moving. So if you get a patient and you move them quickly, their anxiety goes up. If you slow things down, their anxiety goes down. So if you sit, if you take a patient and you sit them in the chair and you lean them back and you immediately got instruments in their mouth and you start talking about all the treatment and here's how much it will cost and okay, let's book you in. It's too fast and as you speed them up like this, their, their anxiety goes up. So you want to slow kinetics. So. One way to deal with them is sit them in a, you can sit them in a dental chair or in a non-clinical environment and just talk with the patient. You want to know what they want. They want to be listened to and by listening to them and showing that you're listening, people start to feel cared for. So if you slow your consultation down, sit there and ask the patient a lot of questions, listen to them, find out exactly what they want and then start looking in their mouth you've slowed the kinetics down and they feel listened and cared to before you get to doing anything that's in their mouth. I don't do any treatment on most of my new patients. So I sit them there, I talk, we examine. I don't poke all their teeth because there is no need to. 
and most of the time that I'm in their mouth is only two or three minutes and the rest is outside of doing consultation. Now, after all of that, you still have to do treatment on the anxious patient. And so when you do the treatment on the anxious patient, don't let them get anxious. Now, it's normal to be anxious about surgical procedures and most surgical procedures, you have a general anesthetic or you have sedation. So if you have a patient who's anxious, do a general anesthetic or organize sedation. Even if it's not intravenous, you can still organize diazepam or lorazepam or some other benzodiazepine just to chill them down a bit. And when you chill them down, also their pain threshold drops and so everything feels more comfortable. Life's too short to have patients sitting in the chair going through treatment massively anxious. It's too uncomfortable for them and it's too uncomfortable for you. So don't do it. Whatever it is that's available to you, do something to reduce the anxiety because the anxiety is often more uncomfortable for the patient than the procedure. So reduce that for their sake, but also for yours. You, you shouldn't be doing an anxious patient is so generous, they want everyone in the room to be anxious as well, and you will be. So just chill everyone down. So in summary with your anxious patient, make your clinic smell nice so you don't stir up the limbic system. Slow everything down and use something to control anxiety, some type of drug, okay? You can't just tell people to get over it and it'll be fine because that just makes them not listen to. But the good part is that when you sedate someone or you do anxiolysis or you put them under general anesthetic, you can do huge long appointments that are intensely productive and the patient doesn't mind. It's good for them and it's good for you. And then of course, call your patients back because then they can tell you how wonderful their experience was and uh, if they do have any problems, they feel cared for. Now these type of patients, not all of them will get over, a lot of them will get over their anxiety and in the future, they become a non-anxiety patient who is intensely loyal but some of them won't and they will need pharmacology every single time you treatment and that's okay. It's not that expensive. It's not expensive to have a couple of Valium or something before your appointment. So anxiety patients make the anxiety go away somehow and mostly it's gonna be pharmacology. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.